get started. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, by uh, this time, perhaps you have heard of, or let's, let's just raise your hands if, if you've heard of the revival taking place at Asbury in Kentucky. Well, okay, so it's, it's not an absolute everybody, well, it's, which is interesting, um, as much as I, and probably some of that's like who I follow on social media and stuff, but I'm seeing an awful lot about that. Um, I think this is day 12. They started a, it's, Asbury is in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky, and um, it's a Christian university. There's across the street or somewhere there is Asbury, uh, is Asbury Seminary also. And it's a Wesleyan type. It's really not a United Methodist, but it's Wesleyan. And um, as Christian um, universities do, they have a chapel, and they would have chapel services. There. So chapel service happened, and uh, somebody preached, and then a kind of worship prayer broke out, and we're on day 12 of that is what I understand, if, if my number is right. And since then, all kinds of people from all kinds of places have come, including from other universities, and now the, that revival has also broken out at the University of Cedarville in Cedarville, Ohio, um, and Samford University in Homewood, Alabama. I know people who are making trips from down in Blacksburg, which I continually call down home. Uh, I know people that are take, making trips from there. I know people who are making trips from here to go and be at uh, Wilmore to experience the spirit of the Lord's presence in this place. Now, um, perhaps uh, this, I, 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 there are some, I have lots of questions. I don't have a lot of answers. Perhaps this is really, really good. Um, time will tell. I, I meet with people and pray regularly for, the, for revival to happen, for the spirit of the Lord to sweep or blow across our nation so that the nation would turn back to him. Time will tell if what this what what comes of this, but the reason it it happens to be timely for us is this sense of awakening, uh, a revival, uh, a renewal. In 2016, I don't know if y'all knew this, but we had revivals happening, or a revival, and then it kind of spread from here to here. And those were in high schools. It was in the southern part of our state, down in Mingo and uh, Logan County, which was called the called the Coalfields. Uh, revival or the Appalachian Awakening. Now, I don't really know. Uh, that was 2016. Supposedly hundreds of people, um, or I, I don't. I think it was hundreds, not thousands. Whatever. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it was thousands. Thousands of people were participating. Hundreds, is my understanding, came to the Lord. But I am curious. Like, what is the, what is what's, so what, what happened? What's different today? If you went to Logan County today, would it be different? If you went into the high school where the actual uh, revival was taking place and the guest speaker came from Tennessee, what's the, what's the nature of that high school? Well, it turns out um, we actually know people who know some of those answers, and we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to move on. But I want, I want to just highlight the fact that the revival is something, and it's very timely for us because it's really happening at least you know, in the news and what have you, uh, right now. 
So as we look at this passage, I want us to see that we are called for a reawakening or a realignment for our identity to practice spiritual disciplines that aid us to, to a greater obedience and devotion of our lives to be formed in the image of Christ. So I, I, think, that's, I think that's what we're going to see in this last bit of uh, Esther. And I, I have thoroughly, um, I, I apologize for my poor planning where we had to ha do a mini-series and have the split for Advent, Christmas, and then we came back. Would have been nice if I had just continued, if I had planned better and we had all that together. But um, perhaps that even added to uh, more of the mystery over our break. But I have been thoroughly blessed by this work. There's, there's a uh, one time... Um, we, so we were very small, then we grew a little, now we're almost small again, so we could have done that this time. I am I'm, I'm very pleased with our uh, reading of, and, and then talking about trying to, trying to pay attention to actually, so that you knew when to cheer or jeer, that was quite challenging for me. So, uh, that, but I think, I think that was really, uh, I think this has been a blessing. The, the book has been a blessing, and the lessons that the Lord has given us through it, uh, and how he has grown us has been a blessing. There was one time when we were small, we went through a book. What I did is I asked everybody, I said, y'all are going to give the sermon next week. And so I asked everybody to uh, prepare and I gave some time limit. And I, I opened with a bit of the sermon and then everybody that was in our congregation got up and said, what did I, you know, gave, gave a bit of a testimony about what the Lord showed me during this book of Galatians maybe or some, I'm not sure what the book was, but that was really fun, and, I, and we, we could have done that today, but uh, our, our reading of the, of the book was also fantastic. So uh, first thing I want us to see as we're looking at this passage from 9.20 through 10.3 is that uh, I want us to see spiritual rhythms of renewal. This is, this is, this is what we're talking about. So verse 20, then um, we, I don't know, I have a few verses here. So verses, let's begin in verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year. As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So Purim is a call for renewal. I, I think this is beautiful, the way this book ends. The book didn't end by simply the Jews getting relief from their enemies. The book ends with the institution of Purim the institution of a call for renewal. It's a, a reawakening to remember and celebrate who you belong to. If you, if, if you can remember the drama which we just uh, have read, we will remember that both Mordecai and Esther had to come to this point of crisis to be awakened to the fact that they were actually um, God's people. They had, it took them something to admit that and be awakened to that. They had to they had to reckon with their identity. We have to do this all the time. Our kids have to, this is where the kids live. It's all about identity. Who, but who, 
to whom do you belong? Uh, in, in that line, my dad used to tell me, I could, I'd be telling him about something, I'd be a little anxious about it. He said, you can do that, you're a Sally. As, as if that gave me some superpower. But I, I didn't know. So he said I could do it. I believed that I could. And then I had pride. I went out and I tried to do whatever it was we were talking about. But where dad said, you know, you can do that. Well, how much better? And my dad was fantastic. He was a great guy. And he was a great dad. I, there was no regrets. I never wondered if he loved me uh, I, I, or if he didn't love me. I always knew that he loved me. Um, how much better is our Father in heaven who is ever faithful, whose love never ceases, who says, you are mine. And I, so, you know, I can revert back to the adoption doctrine uh, sermon very easily because I, it's so important for us to operate. It's important for our children to operate in the world. Our children should be different than their peers. We should be different than our neighbors because of whom we belong. So there, there, this is, this Purim is this communal feast it's a communal celebration. There's a, this corporate aspect, but there's this personal aspect too. And we saw that with Mordecai and Esther. They were the Jews in the empire of Persia, and that cultural gravity had brought them in. It pulled them into a greater assimilation, so much that they just blended in. Their trials made them assess whether God was at work in this or whether they were just lucky to get through it. They saw God's sovereign hand, and we heard that written, uh, we heard that read, that they saw God's sovereign hand at work to save them. Where, remember, Mordecai said to Esther, per perhaps you have this position because the Lord put you in a place for such a time as this. Maybe that's why you have this position. So they were very grateful for what had happened. They were grateful for their deliverance. They were grateful that there was a uh, a turn and a reversal instead of their enemies taking them they were able to take out their enemies and so they instituted Purim for the simple purposes to say let's never forget what the Lord has done let us remember how assimilated are you do you take your faith seriously enough to be different than your neighbors? Do you take your faith differently enough that it makes a difference in the decisions you make, how you live your life, where you spend your money, what you invest your time in? How assimilated is the church? How does the church hold the line on biblical teachings, on these you know, big topic social issues that are always in our face today about, for instance, what marriage is, the biblical doctrine of marriage between one man and one woman. How do, how do we hold the line on that? How do we hold the line on the sanctity of life? How do we oppose abortion? Can we? Do we? Should we? What, and, and of course then, where we live about God-given gender roles. He created them in his image. So he created, created both male and female in their image is what the Bible says. We, we do these things, we hold these things relying on our 2,000 year history. And we say this is who we belong to. This is what the church has always said. 
But how much strength do we have as a church if our church looks nothing like we belong to that history? If we have removed from history out of the concept of contextualization for celebrity pastors, for hip, cool worship services. And I do know that hip's not the word to say today. But that's kind of what hip, cool worship services will be like tomorrow where, you know, if it's all about the lights, if it's all about the band, if it's all about the, the cleverness of those who are performing, then perhaps it has been something that doesn't look at all like that 2,000-year history of the church. Mike Cosper wrote, Every bit as much as we need an awakening, revival, renewal, Every bit as much as we need an awakening to call us out of our assimilated stupor, it's kind of like where we live, we need revived traditions to form us, to form in us a way of life that is distinct, bold, and bears witness to a better world than the madhouse around us. You don't need to do the tambourines, but could I hear an amen? This is beautiful. So we, do we need to be called out of our assimilated stupor? And might that be what a revival could do? Yes and yes. But more than being awakened, then what do we do? If only we had a way to connect to the saints who have gone before us that points us to a better world that is far different than our own, but that's what we experience every week uh, through our liturgy, our ancient creeds, the gospel preached, the sacraments practiced. These things connect us both with those who've gone before us and with the saints of heaven. We literally get a foretaste of heaven every time we worship, every time we gather together for worship, we get a foretaste of heaven. And that is what it is that stabilizes us in amongst the shifting sands of our times, against the blowing winds. We were in the midst of COVID and your lives were a mess and things were not in their normal sequence. Sarah Romine said, this is the normal. This is the thing, the, the thing that's in our lives that's normal, where we knew what to expect. We would come and we did our worship service, but then you had to deal with your kids in school and you had to deal with all the other things and your places of work or whether you're working at home, kids were at home, all those things. But at least here was that place of normal, normalcy. Here's where you have your feet grounded, where something is different. And you've got a taste of something that's better than the chaos in which we live. Next thing I want to see is that remembering God's faithfulness doesn't get old. I, and, and I didn't break this well, but we're just in 28. It's in the mid-sentence. But I had to, you know, I tried to cut some. So it says that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, in every clan, province, and city. And that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews. Nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. So 
this is the first festival that was instituted beyond those that were in the giving of the law to Moses quite some time ago. And then, as Rochelle said, the Purim is still practiced today. In fact, this year, it will be begin on the evening of March 6th, and it will end on the evening of March 7th. So while, uh, while I was preparing, I messaged my Jewish friend, and I said, because um, I, I did not know this was still practiced today. So I, I, I messaged my Jewish friend in, who lives in Israel, and I said, do you practice Purim? And he responded, of course. <laughs> well, all right then. But as, as we reenact the gospel with every worship service, as we bring our praises, as we, hear, we confess our sin and our need for a Savior, and as we come to the table and receive the gospel in physical form, as we rehearse that gospel story or retell the story of God's saving grace among us, it breathes life to our weary souls. It doesn't get old. It turns our sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. And I, I, I think that is, I, I think if we understand church is coming in, getting a foretaste of heaven, giving, giving us an experience of, a snapshot of that world which is to come, we can, and we are, we are, citizens of it, the more we grow in that, the less at home in the world we feel, the more at home with the Lord we continue to feel. And then my other thought on that is that whether, uh, whether there are just a few of us or there were hundreds, when we come to the part of our liturgy, when we say that we join our voices with the angels, with the archangels, all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name, there is something that's going on that the book of Hebrews has talked about that we, we are joining the company of heaven. So I, I have always had confidence in what the Lord does, whether there are just a few people or whether we've got a lot, because what we are doing is we are being lifted up and he carries us up into the heavenlies and we are celebrating with those saints who've gone before us. I think that's a beautiful picture, and therefore it gives me clarity that when I, I gave our re, the report for Redeemer at our deanery gathering, and I claimed John 10, 27, that my sheep hear my voice and they know me, um, that's, there's, this is what I have confidence in, that the Lord has sheep even here in Parkersburg who he is drawing out of the sheep pen, drawing to himself so that they will follow him and follow him closely. The last thing I want to see is this weird thing about, a, is it possible, is it possible to fully serve the Lord in the marketplace instead of the church? So we're in chapter 10, verse 3, says, for Mordecai the Jew, which I, I just love this when you're referencing Mordecai, it's always this Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus. And he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. So this, there is no doubt but what happened with Mordecai. He was greatly praised. 
people were very thankful that somebody was looking out for them. And what did he do? Well, he went to work. In today's world, if we had a government official who um, became awakened in their faith and then led an effort as an instrument of God to save a bunch of people and all their hearts were turned to God, what would we expect that government official to do? Would we expect that government official to go back into politics, go back into the government? Or might we more expect that he would leave his, the secular job in the government and get into the ministry, be one of us, become a missionary? Mordecai goes back to work. He does his thing. Mordecai didn't build a temple. Mordecai had a way with the people. His people loved him. He could have easily established a temple, started a worship service, called himself a priest, called himself a prophet, but he didn't. He goes to work. He is fulfilling the Jeremiah 29, 7. The whole 29 chapter, if you get a chance, you need something to read, read chapter 29 of Jeremiah. 29.7 says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. As we talked about Mordecai before, um, I, re I have referenced this verse already before, but we see this is what's happening. He, does, he doesn't leave what he was good at to come into the ministry. Which, you know, does that mean I should have stayed with changing oil? Well, perhaps. I, I was pretty good at that. But what's, what is beautiful is how the Lord uses him in his secular role. For those that take their faith seriously, for those that know Jesus and know his word and want him to be known, there is plenty of work to do in the kingdom in the normal working and the normal vocations that keep the world turning. This is where those people of faith practice their work, whether it be in the government, whether it be making widgets, or teaching in the public realm, whatever that is. This is where the people of God work as unto the Lord and not for man. This was, this, as we were raising our children, this was one of the verses we made them memorize because we needed to hear that frequently because they would complain when we had them do something like chores around the house or their homeschooling. And so for our memory verse today in our family catechesis, that's the verse because, because. Uh, and our, our normal le lessons that we're doing with the children, uh, we're not doing that today. So we included that verse because that's, it's good for them, it's good for us. We are to do whatever we're to do to the glory of God. And we're to work to, as, as unto God, not unto man. So this practice of Purim, this practice of a, the rhythm of a liturgical calendar in our world, that intentional practice of remembering our story of redemption, 
It does more than call us to revival or renewal. It calls us to greater devotion. It calls us to deeper practice. We, and I, I think of our timing being this close to the actual celebration of Purim, this thing that where we're ending, by my poor management, we're in, that's where I think God's sovereign, we're, we're ending here at, at, in the season, if you will, of Purim, where it will be remembered by many, many people. Um, and this is our last Sunday in this season of Epiphany. This coming Wednesday is our Ash Wednesday service. This is when uh, Lent begins. And so next Sunday is our first Sunday in Lent. And we're in this season for remembering our need for a Savior. And because we have this rhythm, of, because we're in the church that tells time differently, and we use this calendar where it begins at the end of our calendar year, begins with Advent, and then we have this cycle where we can actually remember, intentionally think on, even if only we're hearing the scripture read while we're in an Old Testament book, we're hearing of the birth, the ministry, the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and we are intentionally remembering those things because of what he has done. And it's in this flow that we are being formed and shaped. I, I used to not be a fan of liturgy because I was in a church that had a lot of liturgy, but there was, there was no um, spirit. I'm not sure that people believed what they said. I love liturgy when actually people know, when we proclaim the creed and, and we, we say that we actually believe these things, it, it does my heart good to hear that and be a part of proclaiming our faith through these words. But it's in that where I also then have grown to love liturgy is how liturgy puts God's word inside of us. It, it, it puts God's truths inside of us. Our liturgy is mainly made up of scripture anyway. And then as that gets in us, we have that to rely on, which is very helpful. Uh, one, one, one time, our, one of our members sent me a video of their four-year-old slinging their sins and their carries and their worries to the cross. And, and he, had, he knew all the words, and I just don't know them, and I say them every week. I, and I still have to read them. But th there's the beauty of actually getting these things in people when they're young. They can actually remember these things. And then as they, they grow old, they won't depart from it. That's a biblical principle. This Purim, the story of Esther, the reason to reread it is it is a story of a lost people, a lost identity, who remembered to whom they belonged. So they found their way back home in the midst of dark, troubled times. We need such a roadmap ourselves today. It's a story of a people who had lost their identity of being God's people, but finding their way back, and then they wanted to ensure that those who came after them wouldn't lose their way as they had done. Now this, I, I just think, is absolutely beautiful. So they put this thing into law that Purim would be practiced. This is what Mordecai and Esther did, and then today, my unbelieving Jewish friend still practices it. This is, this is a long history, but what they wanted to do is make sure you remember they lost their way they were totally assimilated they forgot to whom they belonged 
they had it covered up for advancement and all kinds of personal gain kind of purposes. Well, we too need this story. We too are concerned about the generations to come. This is our story. This is the story of Redeemer. That we are a people who found our way back to the Lord through remembering with the help of the liturgical calendar, with a renewal of this This liturgical calendar has been around a lot longer than Redeemer has. But it took such a tool for some of us to enter in. There are churches who have been practicing church calendar for a long time, and the only thing I knew to do from those churches was to stay away from them. So we had to have something that where I could enter in. We had to like lower the ramp, if you will. Like the, the idea that you ever push anybody in a wheelchair, all these places have wheelchair ramps, but at the end of the ramp there's like this hump, and you got to get over the, you got to get, a, I can't even get on the ramp. We've got to lower the ramp. I, and, and I know, I know everybody's not exactly like me, but I don't really need a, a big training on what Appalachian people are like. I am he. And I'm thinking if we could lower a ramp and you could give somebody something to hold on to that ties them back to the historical church and gives them rootedness because it's shaping and forming them as, as we simply practice church, that this could be a beautiful thing. But that's who we are. But we're also, we, we have found good in expository preaching, in the proclamation of the creeds, in communion and our uh, celebration of the sacraments, communion and baptism. We have found this coming home and this renewal through those things, but we're not concerned only to ourselves. Our concern is the establishment of something that's going to hold true in the years to come. The church we're in is part of a denomination that's falling apart, which some of us grew up in, but it's falling apart, and when we say, okay, well, Holden and Holden's kids and that generation, what is it? that they will hold on to. And will they be able to go into a liturgical church? And one of our problems with liturgical churches is most of them are mainline liberal churches. And they've forgotten the gospel. They've forgotten the people. They've forgotten who they were. They actually don't believe God's word. They don't believe the Bible is God's word. Or if it contains it, you've got to be a, some sort of a Gnostic to find what is what is it. It's like got a lot of stuff in there. But you know, if you were smart like me, you could find it. But I just, that's icky. So in the future, where will our kids find this kind of connection? Or will they be like the church I described that's totally far removed from historical church and not have anywhere to plant the roots? Our prayer is that they will find roots in Parkersburg in Redeemer. Long after all of us have passed on I don't mean cycled through, I mean passed on, and our generations after us can find true gospel proclamation in a liturgical church connecting us to the historical church right here in this place. Meaning Redeemer, not necessarily this physical place. Sorry. Well, so by then it's not red carpet, too. Um, but this this is what we do. We, we remember on a weekly basis how God saved us and, and we proclaim 
his forgiveness and our redemption through him week after week after week. We may not see his hand. We may not hear his voice. You may not really sense his presence, as my traveling friends are hoping to do. But when we come and we receive the gospel in physical form, the idea that God could become more present to us, I think is impossible. We could be more moved, we could have more emotional music, we could have more lights, but it's in the sacrament where he gives us this bread and this wine and he feeds us and nourishes us. That's the presence of the Lord. So, but you may be going through stuff and you may come reverently and you may not feel or sense his presence. And that's okay. But what we know is, though we may not hear his voice, but we may not see the signs, what we know is he is ever faithful to his people. He calls us out of darkness, and then he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He will contend for those who belong to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.